Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the studio, I'm joined once again by popular demand, the amazing, the awesome, the most unyogi of yogis, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Purser. How are you? I'm going to take that as a compliment. It the was unyogi of yogis. I'm not. I'm not sitting here with a cigarette in my hand, by the way, either. And a bottle of bourbon. Uh, no, definitely not the bottle of bourbon. <laughs> that, uh, in that way, I'm quite yogic. I'm the I'm a, the yoga bloke, maybe. So. <laughs> yoga bloke. Yeah, That'd I make do a practice great t-shirt. yoga. The yoga bloke. I think it's been done. Uh, uh, we have these t-shirts. I can't remember. the. There was something else. We, we've had good t-shirts before. I know. We're going to have a whole line of merch <laughs> at some Etsy, point. <laughs> Etsy store. I'm a yoga bloke. Yeah, I'm a yogi by definition of the fact that I practice yoga regularly. That's what defines me as a yogi. Yes. And I do generally adhere to most of the, you know, the certain requirements of Certain requirements, the suggestions of yoga, talking about the yamas and niyamas of yoga. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I eat fairly well, swear a little bit. You do, I've heard you with your yeah, yeah, definitely. I've got a bit of a like potty mouth actually. I do like to swear. It's, it's sometimes there's only there's certain ex- feelings that <laughs> fuck is the only way that you can express it appropriately. I love a good swear bomb. I love it. Yeah. You've got to have a vice. I think you've got to be aware of it, though. That's, yes. If, if you're swearing unconsciously and just like dropping them all over the place, I won't. Uh, but if you are, that may be problematic if you're upsetting people. If, if there's a level of awareness, and actually this is a very yogic idea, 
particularly when you're looking at tantric yoga, which tantra is more about exploring feeling, exploring uh, orgasms. Orgasms again. That's a sexuality is a big a big part of tantra, but it's definitely not the only part. It kind of gets co opted. By yes, the, kind I remember of the, you the, told us the that. The sex industry a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, classical tantra is about exploring all of life and awareness of speech. What mm. am I saying? And sometimes I said, you know, it's really fun to swear, but if we're just swearing all the time unconsciously, so it's awareness of what I'm saying mm. is, a, I think, very yogic. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot to do with recovery or changing your lifestyle, changing your way of being is about Mm. awareness. That's what I'm really discovering and finding more as I become more aware through meditation. Truth bomb right there. Yeah, it's about awareness. So talking to my current group at the moment about, you know, their very early days, they're Mm. only not even a full week in yet. And we're talking about those early cravings that show up Mm. and how normally we just knee jerk react. So we kind of have maybe a feeling or an emotion. Maybe we're not even aware of that, but we get a craving suddenly to drink and then we're just knee jerk reaction. We're off to the the thirsty camel Mm. to the bottle shop to get ourselves a drink. And then we drink and then we go through that process, but becoming aware we get the craving and then to go, oh, there's the awareness of the mm. craving. So stopping and having that moment of being aware that we're having a craving and then possibly asking ourselves, what's this all about? What do I need actually in this moment? Or yeah. how can I support myself? And I was actually did a, a session today with a guy who doesn't drink much, but he's eating, overeating mm. and eating a lot of sugar. And it's, it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's like I said, have you ever stopped and taken a moment before reacting to that craving for the sugar. Mm. And he said, no, I haven't actually. So it was interesting. And then we talked about that as a, as a possibility. So I think awareness changes everything. Mm. And I found, especially since doing the course with you, my own awareness has expanded to another level. Mm. Talk to me a bit about awareness and how awareness has changed your life. Mm. Okay. One of my teachers, uh, he speaks about the yoga of awareness. He speaks about awareness is the core concept of yoga. And I like to frame recovery as a practice of yoga. Mm. I like to practice. So and if you put it in, for me, that's what it is. Mm. Recovery is a practice of yoga. So there are the, the things that we do in yoga. So we might do some stretching, some strengthening practice, becoming comfortable in our body. We do a lot of breath work. We do our yoga nidra practice. We do our meditation techniques. So these are all the techniques of yoga. The prevailing attitude, again, this is very tantric, is that we have awareness mm. and then we have uh, sense stimuli. Mm-hmm. We call it. So mm-hmm. that could be sensations. That so could so be feeling touch. So these are the techniques that we use. We would do a meditation practice of becoming aware of touch, becoming aware of listening to sounds. This is part of the Antamona technique, if anyone's familiar, or any sort of very similar to Vipassana, if you've done Vipassana meditation. So we're becoming aware of senses. And mm. then we apply that to our minds. And what we're doing there, it's like the training run of you doing your meditation practice and you're building space, you're cultivating spaciousness and becoming aware of the, the sense stimuli. So I'm becoming aware of 
random things to start, but then mm. quite intentionally looking at specific things. So mm. what, and if, let's say I'm having a craving for sugar. You know, for me, that's a, that's a thing. Like mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people who stop drinking, it's very sure. easy to transfer it to food. Yep. And if I am having a craving, what, why is that? You know, why is it might be physiological? I might be having a little crash because whatever reason, I'm, you know, for me, it's often mid-afternoon, late afternoon. Mm. I'm a little bit tired. I need something that'll pick me up. So I'm mm. craving sugar. And, mm. Or it's maybe just because I had a little bit of an ice cream thing going on there for a while and ice cream was my lover. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, dinner time. Have my, I was living alone at the time and ice cream was literally, I just, I, think, I couldn't have a lover because the ice cream made me unlovable. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, and I found a lover and she made me stop eating some. You eat a lot of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, okay. I like my ice cream. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think alcohol is, is an extreme addiction. Alcohol, certainly for me, it was because you, it changes your behavior so much. It changes your thinking so much. But if you've entered recovery, you're still addicted bad news you might not be drinking actively but we all have addictive minds so mm. most of us i'd say in today's world are fairly addicted to our smartphones mm. uh we're getting a little dopamine hit every time we get a little ping or a scroll mm. Mm -hmm. many people are addicted to sugar mm. it could be certain behavior uh, it might be sex it might be you know randomly dating people we're looking at like we're all addicted to something unless we're fully enlightened and it's those addictions become quite subtle mm. over time so the game and i like to sort of frame it as a game rather than this oh hard work for the rest of my life you know getting over alcohol initially can be pretty extreme mm. but what i've found is we progress with that and we develop awareness and we do our sort of supportive practices to help us develop awareness the next the continuing evolution of the mind, it should be fun. It yeah. can be fun. It's not always going to be fun, but it can be fun. We start to play these games with ourselves and we start to learn who we are and how we are and realizing, oh, there's so much at play. I'm getting to know myself. And once you start to get traction, I, I haven't found anything in my life as difficult as quitting alcohol. That was mm. the most difficult thing that I've ever done just because mm. it, it took me a long time. I was a, a fair way down the track before I had the, oh my goodness, I need to stop awakening moment. Um, and that'll be 12 years for me actually. Wow. Next week. Amazing. years sober. Congratulations. Yeah, that's like a full round of the cosmos. If you're into astrology, uh, which I kind of am, it's a full round of the cosmos. So we've gone in 12 years, we go through every house. So I've kind of in, in one phrase, you I've experienced the full round of the cosmos sober. Wow, that's so amazing. Well done. Thank you. So tell me, how do you then see recovery? So you said here recovery is a practice of yoga. Mm. Explain that a little bit more in, in really layman's terms as, okay. as much as you can and how we can apply that to our to our recovery mm. and awareness to our recovery. That makes so there's sense. certain yogic concepts that you can overlay in your recovery uh and the first you know, we're looking in the yoga sutras for anyone is the patanjali yoga sutras is sort of a, a core text of the yoga tradition and that they provide essentially it's a step-by-step -step guide to enlightenment uh that it's a guide for meditation but 
it's a it's a a guide for life and the first two parts of the yoga sutras it, it suggests an eight stage process uh called ashtanga yoga and the first stage is yama and which is also the name of the place where we're having our retreat in bali coincidentally and re- <laughs> yama means restraint or control and so it's actually yama is originally about saying no to things so there's a practice of it's not saying no to things it's about tidying up your life a little bit mm. so when you stop drinking that's a practice of tidying up your life so things like talk about cleanliness talk about purifying talk about telling the truth mm. that's a really big one mm. simplifying your life and uh one of um tapasya is a is a big one uh, so tapasya is a sense of self-control i've often the things that define my life more than anything are the things i say no to so mm. I've chosen a life path. I've chosen quite consciously how I want to live my life. And I've realized over time that if I'm going to do that thing, those things that I want to do, this idyllic lifestyle that I want, the life I dream of for myself, which is, it's a pretty simple life, really. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to surf well. I want to have great relationships with my family and my kids. I want to have a garden. I want to enjoy my physical body and just enjoy the the world that I live in without complexity and complication. And most of what I dream about is fairly simple, but it's not necessarily simple to achieve that. And I want to be able to do something that I really love to be a yoga teacher. You do have to practice a bit of austerity. So I'm not out there partying all the time. Maybe the part of me would, would like to, uh, you know, I go to bed boringly early. I get up really early. Um, my work that I do is, is, is important. So I practice yoga regularly. And often that means saying no to parties. So there's a, um, mm. I'd still go out though. I still have a great social life. I'm really social. I have heaps of friends, but there's a level of austerity involved. And I think if you're drinking actively, most people who, contemplating stopping drinking there's a point where it's just like is this really serving me you won't know until you've given it a go to stop you know most people who we've given drinking a pretty good go i gave drinking a pretty good showing in my life mm-hmm. i feel like i kind of picked up every rock and had a look underneath it and go yeah I've sort of everything that was possible with alcohol i've experienced but what i really wanted to know what was i still wasn't having a fulfilling life and so i thought well that I'm out of options. I need to stop drinking and then see what's next. And I was doing yoga the whole time. So mm. I kind of realized that it was really limiting my yoga practice as well. So I stopped drinking. Uh, I mean, at the time it was, you know, I kind of had to stop drinking. Mm. It was, I was in a pretty bad way. Mm. But that opened up a whole new pos- range of possibility. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's, it's simple, you know, like simplifying your life, practicing some self-control. They're, they're really basic things, but. Theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically. Exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's really life-changing stuff. Mm. And then this concept of awareness, just taking it back to awareness. um, I guess we have to have awareness to have Mm. these things happening in our lives to simplify and to have self-control. We need awareness. I think also, awareness of the thoughts obviously but also body awareness as mm. well i find really important for cravings so 
Absolutely. Like I said to that guy today, like what's can we take a moment and be aware and with what's happening rather than just going with it. But even going, I had uh, Luke, one of my teachers from my CI course on the podcast last week, and he was talking about his book Soma Wise, which is phenomenal, mm. but talking about his own cravings, he was addicted to porn and how rather than going for the porn straight away when he'd have the craving, he'd just go completely into his body, what's happening in my body right mm. now, and he had complete body awareness. So he could feel where there was tension or tightness and then he could ask the question, has something just happened? What do I need? Like, how can I support myself? And just stayed completely with his body throughout the whole craving, through the whole process mm. until it fell away. And he said, eventually the porn just kind of went, you know, mm. it wasn't even really, it just sort of let go of itself. It just sort of let go this hold it had on him because he was just so completely aware, mm. really interesting guy to talk to and his whole perspective on addiction and awareness is so important. So awareness is one thing, but we also need to, it's easy to say, I said it's theoretically mm. easy, mm. but to cultivate awareness, mm. like you were talking before about this. I mean, I talk about the evolution of awareness. Mm -hmm. So it's not something we have, it's not like, it's a gradual opening. It's a demystifying. Mm. So this polishing of the lens. So we see more and more of who we are and how we are. And that's where yoga technique really helps you. Breath work is just fantastic any work we do with pranayama yoga nidra just fantastic all of the things whether you're doing a physical i mean ultimately i promote a holistic practice it's not a fundamental practice of you've got to do two and a half hours every day it's lots of little bits done regularly mm. a gentle stretch integrating gentle awareness-based movement and that could be a lot of different things mm. uh breath work absolutely fantastic but you know, particularly when it's done in an intentional way. So bringing, a, not just doing breath work, mm. bringing awareness to the breath work of go, okay, I'm doing it and applying it in a particular way. And then what we're doing is this, again, this is looking at the framework of yoga. We're becoming, tuning ourselves more and more to the subtle awareness of prana, energy, how we are. So we're tuning into the, the matter that mm. we're made of, but then, the underlying currents of our behavior. So noticing those driving forces and talking before about porn addiction, any, like any sugar addiction, alcohol addiction, absolutely. It often is driven by physiology. And so we're not, it's not like our new nervous system is separate from us. I'm made up of a nervous system, a, a mental system, a physical system, and it's all one system really mm. that defines my behavior and it's ultimately we're, we're, we're chasing a dopamine hit most of the time and mm. there's i mean that's a simplified way of looking at it but there's other ways to get that oh totally ways. and i think it's also one thing luke discussed as well was that you're looking for a distraction too mm. if you're feeling un some discomfort or something's upset you and you just don't want to be in that that mm. moment then that was his escape where for me it would be to drink alcohol for him it was to go to the porn. So he, yeah. his whole thing as well, it's not really the thing that we're addicted to. It's the driving, the mm. like, as you say, the behavior and what it is that's driving us to that thing that we've selected to mm. take us away from our discomfort. So I really love this whole, I love awareness. And that's why I feel like there's so many great recovery programs where there is breath work or yoga. Most, I guess, probably nearly all, rehab centers and things like that have an element of yoga 
to now them. they do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe 20 years ago they didn't, but I think more and more as the science is really clearly showing that uh, it is fundamental to the process of recovery. Yeah. But also, you know, reframing what yoga is is and just understanding that yoga practice doesn't it is suitable for everybody in the sense that it doesn't have to be a hardcore physical practice which a lot mm. of people i think it is you don't have to be hypermobile uh, mm. or super strong to be able to do it uh it's just a gentle practice of moving the body with awareness which can mm. look like a whole lot of different things and if mm. you add another layer into that moving the body with awareness of the breath Mm. So what you're doing there is you're, if you're just focusing and you can do this right now, just move your hand, just wave your hand. Simple. Just wave the hand up and down. And now let's do a practice of breathing as we do that. So have your hand extended mm -hmm. and then bring the hand, the fingers towards the nose as you do so exhale. And then pushing the fingertips away, we inhale. Exhaling toe, uh, fingertips towards the nose. Inhaling fingers away and just soften into that. You can even close your eyes as you do that. So breath and body moving together. So that, my dear friends, is a practice of yoga. That's really beautiful. That's as simple as it needs to be. Yeah. And I know one thing that you talked about in the course that we did is just... Was breath and awareness moving together. So having that mm. awareness of your breath as you breathe in and out, or if you're imagining a golden light going up and down your spine or the front body, just having all those things working together. Mm. And it's just so calming and beautiful on the mind. In our, We've got our Bali retreat coming up in April, which mm. is super exciting. I, I feel like incorporating those, those kind of really basic, slow awareness mm. techniques will be a beautiful part of that. Yeah, Definitely. One of the things I really love is giving yoga context. Mm. So with a group of people who, or any people who are using yoga for, for a specific purpose. And I think recovery from alcohol is, it's a noble purpose. Mm. And it's a, it's what we can do by applying asana in a particular way by applying, because it's a system right we're working with a system here and it's we're using breath work we're using the different meditation to, and they're all they can all be refined i mean if we for example had a group of high flying executives who wanted to develop superpowers and be super focused and go out there and have their alpha life uh i would do something different mm. but if we're cultivating a space for people who are in recovery there needs to be a lot of empathy and just this, it needs to happen. I wouldn't say slowly because it can happen quite quickly, but it needs to happen. This again, awareness of who I am and how I am mm. a deep radical acceptance of that. And that's mm. massive part of the process. Like we can't becoming aware is just coming to know ourselves and mm. becoming compassionate with that. There's a lot of blockages I find with addiction recovery. There's a lot of like, I don't really want to know about that. I just prefer to forget. But there's such a power in, in remembering. There's such mm. a power and not just remembering and remembering without shame. Mm. So there's so much shame attached to it. But if we can create a space and you do, this is why group work is so beautiful and powerful as mm. you come into that space and you go, yeah, me too. Mm. Me too. I get it. You know, I did some dumb shit. 
I get it. And that's okay, you know, because it's, you're not, A, you're not doing the dumb shit. You've made a really conscious, empowered choice to step into something different. And then we're cultivating this space for each other. We're creating a mm. container for our friends mm. to do the same. And we're, uh, Ramdas, uh, I'm sure you've heard me say this before. It's one of my favorite quotes is, you know, we're all just walking each other home. Yeah, I love that quote. Mm, yeah, we could say that again and again. I will say it again and again. <laughs> it needs to be said. I love that. So I really love that. I love that that's also going to be part of this retreat is this bringing in a practice for people to also be able to take home and use in their daily life just a very, the most basic mm. practice of awareness and body movement and perhaps breath awareness and tools around that, which mm. would be so beautiful and a beautiful offering to be mm. able to give people to go home with. The problem is not everyone can afford a couple of thousand dollars to come on a retreat. Mm. And I totally get that. Not everyone mm. can get up and go to Bali for a, a week. Mm. So one thing I wanted to ask you as well today is what could people say, we're probably doing ourselves out of a job here, but <laughs> but what say you can't come on the retreat. They'll say mm. you can't get to a retreat nearby or whatever. What's some really basic things do you think that people could do super fundamental basic things that people can do mm. that they could take home as though they've been on a retreat mm. what can they take you know so what can many they do things lots of little things give us That's, a couple of little things that sure. can help people look, i mean if you look at if you sort of do an analysis of, of what a retreat generally looks like and i've been fortunate to do a lot many different but these often there's a a space in nature Okay, so having a quiet, beautiful space. Mm. Uh, you know, we're going to Bali, but there's lots of different, we're in Australia here, beautiful places to have retreats around here. A big part of what I did in my early recovery, I spent heaps of time in nature. Mm. Heaps of time in nature. Go and hug some trees. <laughs> okay, let's stick, let's stick with that one for a minute. So spending time in nature and say you live in the city. Mm. How are we going to... Find some nature. Find a park. I just recently went, where was I? I've been traveling a fair bit lately, but I was in Sydney. That's mm. right. And so I looked on Google Maps and I thought, where is a place I can go get mm. some trees? And get some trees. And I found a, you know, there's always something close oh, there's by. There's always something. We're in Australia. Sydney's fantastic. Sydney yeah. has so many wonderful parks. And uh, I was, I did my early recovery in Sydney. And at that time, I was working, but I, I had quite a lot of time on my own. I was single and I had probably too much time on my own. Uh, and I, I needed that. And I would, you know, my practice would be to go out into the bush. And that's always been sort of my church. Uh, and I would surf, but I just something about being in the trees, I think. I, I love to be at the beach. I love to be in the ocean, but something really powerful about being in the trees. I would often go and do my yoga practice in the bush, do a pranayama practice in the bush, leave, if you can, your phone behind. So you're not just, and I've done that before, go for a bush work and, and, and still be looking mm. up my phone. It's like, what's actually going on here? But try mm. to leave the phone at home, creating creating a container. Uh, I think being in, the, being in a beautiful natural place is going to heal you, mm. is going to heal you. The other thing I'd say, which is a bit converse to that is, have some community. So if you look at what else, the other thing that happens on a retreat is that you, you create a community. You, you, I mean, you can do a personal retreat all on your own. I think that's great. I don't think that's necessarily the best for people in early recovery all the time. Uh, I think it's great to have 
companionship, but particularly companionship for people who are in a similar situation to you. So creating that container uh, and, you know, I know through your groups that you're cultivating that, finding that space where you can be quiet together with other people and go there for a singular, it might only be for an afternoon, you know, you might say, hey, let's go for a, a walk. I liked, and one of the things I love to do is, and I do this with my partner and sometimes with friends, like, let's walk here and go to that point and we're going to do a practice there. Oh, that's so cool. And that's, and then we'll come home. I did it just before Christmas with uh, my partner and another friend. We went out into the Nightcap National Park behind where we live here and climbed sort of the this, not a big mountain, just a little mountain, but went somewhere quite beautiful and just sat there and, and all meditated together. Oh, I and love that was that. the intention. It's like, that's what I, I was just like, this is what I want to do. And I'd love you guys to come. Uh, we're going to do the bushwork. I'm going to show you this particular beautiful place I know. But when we get there, we sit like that's that was kind of because I've often been I mean, people like they don't want to do that bit. And I was like, that's the whole point of going there for me. So we need to have that quiet. If you I'll show you this magical place, but we just need to honor the container with intention. I think that's a big part of a retreat that we could do. I love that. So, okay, so retreating at home, we're trying to find some nature and spend some time there, even if it's at the local park. But just cycling back to that. What are they going to do once they get into the nature? <laughs> if Breathe. Breathe. Okay. Breathe. I mean, look, if you're new to meditation and again, like you come into that place, the easiest thing to do is to pick up your phone, start flicking your phone and then all of a sudden you're not in nature anymore. Do something that grounds you. Uh, let's do a practice, a, a simple practice of box breathing. Hmm. Let's, I mean, let's design a, you know, let's go to the park. Step one, go to the park on your own or invite a friend. But if the friend is coming, it needs to be conditional in the sense that we are going to the park to do some breath work together. So we've gone to the park. We've found a nice place in the grass. Maybe we brought a little blanket and some pillows. We've walked into this beautiful place and we're going to sit down. I'm picturing a little riverbank somewhere and let's do some breath work together. What sort of breath work are we going to do? I know. Let's do some box breathing really simply accessible let's do box breathing with alternate nostril breathing together fantastic what does that look like you say that's great i'm going to show you right now so we're going to take our index finger middle finger it's basically nadi shodan so for anyone who's uh familiar index middle finger between the eyebrows we firstly just block our right nostril and now we're going to inhale through our left nostril we're going to hold that breath and then we're going to exhale through the right nostril so we're inhaling through the right nostril holding that breath exhaling through the left again holding that breath we're going to add a count now we're going to count inhaling left nostril one two three four hold the breath two three four exhaling right nostril two three, four, hold the breath, two, three, four, inhaling right nostril, two, three, four, hold the breath, two, three, four, exhaling left, two, three, four. And then just continue in that way. I'm doing 10 or so rounds. 
And that's a great practice just to bring us into so presence. Good. So good. I feel great just doing that little round then. That was awesome. It's so good, isn't it? It's one of my favorite things to do, just these little momentary, like a micro-dosing meditation. So it doesn't have to be this big thing. You just take a, a couple of minutes. And the next thing that you could add into your retreat would be just a practice of quiet listening. Mm. A quiet listening of just, let's just listen. Like if, imagine that I'm there with my friend and, and we're just going to listen to the sounds of the trees, the birds, maybe the babbling of the little river. And we'll do that for a few minutes. And then we might have a little practice of sharing with our friends. How come I've got my friend here? Maybe there's a couple of us and... Let's talk about something that is significant. Maybe it's got to do with our recovery or something that's happening in our life. And then our friend can reciprocate and we hold space for each other. And then I think we can... Uh, creating a container. Again, yoga is really big on this. Mm. Creating ceremony and ritual. So mm. when I teach a yoga class, I'll always open with a mantra. And, and that's in classical tantra, you always start and finish with a mantra and usually just the mantra om. You mm -hmm. can do other mantras, but you don't have to chant a mantra before your little retreat. But mm. having some intention, mm. might be lighting a candle. It could be um, setting up a little space, creating mm. a, a ceremony, creating yourself a little temple. These are the things that if you think about, you know, creating a retreat in daily life, uh, they're all the things that you can do. I mean, as we discussed, I'm a pretty blokey bloke. I'm not, that stuff is not naturally coming to me, but I found a great benefit in it. So I do it. I love that. I love this. I love this whole concept of create your own little retreat. Mm. It could be a Saturday thing that you do or a Sunday thing that you do and grab a friend and say, let's go down to the local park. We'll take a blanket and, and create some ceremony around mm. it. Do a little breathwork session, share, Oh, I love that, Mark. This is fucking awesome. I love that. And the other thing I would say on retreat, one thing that we'll be doing is offering beautiful food and nourishing food. Mm, so absolutely. maybe taking with you, you could pre-make some beautiful green smoothies or a beautiful, you know, beautiful salad or something to share. You both bring something that's lovely. Nourish yourself. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if you're there with a friend, maybe each of you bring something. Uh, you can do better than just a burger. You know, Macca's <laughs> on the way home. Just, again, bringing a bit of intention and awareness into yeah. it. So recovery is a, is, is a whole body experience. Mm. Like we need to eat really, really well. We need to uh, look after ourselves neurologically. So we need to be massaging our nervous system. And again, I keep pointing to breath work. It's so good at doing that. Yoga Nidra is so, it's like a big massage for your nervous system. Oh. You're just deeply relaxing. And then massaging our mind, getting to softening our mind. So we've got to look at ourselves, look after ourselves on every level mm. for sure. Definitely good food, beautiful friends, creating a ceremony. And it it only needs to be very simple, but just mm. having a container, a sacred mm. container uh, that we cultivate together with some sort of practice mm. and some sort of how formal it is. I mean, if we're running a retreat together, we've got a, a group of people coming together. We have a program, mm. you know, we have, okay, at this time of day, we've got specific things happen. Uh, but also space within mm. that program because of one of the beautiful things that happens in a retreat is that things just happen. So, you know, we run a breathwork session and there's some sort of structured 
talking session, but then organically things just open up. So mm. I like to walk that dance between having some structure and but not packing things in too much mm. creative, leaving that sense of spaciousness for the for the magic to happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think that is just even that, just that little practice there mm. or that little kind of intentional awareness and creating this little retreat for yourself at some stage. Mm. You don't have to do it every weekend, but you might just set aside. You could set aside a few days or just one day or just one morning. It doesn't mm. have to be huge, uh, but you can do this. And just also peddling back to what you just said there, that recovery is a whole body experience and you're so bang on there. You know, we have to nourish ourselves really well. So it's not just emitting the alcohol, but okay, what can I put in to really nourish myself and look after myself and look after my nervous system? Because it's all been probably neglected for so long. Mm. I was doing a coaching session last night with a lady who said, she's just started cooking some beautiful food mm. and normally she'd just get drunk and have a bit of toast. Or maybe if she was being really good, having some scrambled eggs on toast mm. for dinner because she doesn't have kids, she lives on her own and she's not nourishing herself very well. So just starting investigating what it's like to cook some beautiful food and look after herself that way and just that is very intentional. Yeah, well. absolutely. Making food a ceremony it's yes let a meal be a ceremony yeah absolutely is is super nourishment uh of our body it should be there should be joy yeah there needs to be joy and look it's it's going to affect different people at different levels so some people who are coming into recovery or exploring recovery are you know they always cooked they, some people eat amazingly well who drink way too much alcohol. Mm. Uh, I always cooked really, really well. It was sort of for me, cooking and red wine was just mm, me too. Was, was beautiful. It was, it was such a, it was a, a joy to cook and drink. Yes. Um, but the drinking got out of hand, and I always had this love of cooking. But I do know people who, like you mentioned before, they just stop eating. And, and that's, so maybe that's where it is. I smoked cigarettes. That was one of my things that was unfortunately a, a, an ugly part of my life for a long time. So letting go of that was, oh, such a liberation, letting go of cigarettes. Uh, and then again with food, it's, we can't stop eating. You know, I've stopped drinking. Absolutely. I stopped smoking. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want to stop eating. You know, I don't really even want to stop stop eating sugar. Like I like a little bit of sugar. I like to enjoy desserts. But again, this is where the aware... So we have to let go of... Some of us do, you know, mm. not every... Some people can drink successfully and not have a problem with it. And that's awesome. For me, I found the easiest solution was just to not drink at all. And mm. I think that's a very personal journey people need to find there. But certainly my experience was just letting go of alcohol completely. Opened the space where I could explore other things such as food. For, mm. And so I can now bring awareness to my love affair with chocolate mm-hmm. and ice cream. You know, I do eat ice cream from time to time. It did scale out of control at one point, uh, but thankfully I have a loving, caring partner who's more than happy to tell me when, when, it's, uh, when it's scaling out of control. Mm. And there was awareness there because uh, I was kept doing my yoga practice and 
the awareness came to, okay, what is this relationship with ice cream that's going on? Mm. Uh, I like ice cream, isn't it? It's a fairly benign example that most people have something in that, in that category and that we can, maybe you do need to stop eating ice cream completely. I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it's a very personal journey that we need, but this is where the practice can support us and getting to know ourselves better. Yeah. over time. Yeah. Awareness really is everything. And so I think any time as well someone slipped up, it's like they weren't thinking that's well in their mind mm. rather than connected into their body. Yeah. And really being aware of what is actually happening. So again, just repeating that for people that are listening that it's so very important to if you're having a craving to stop and take a minute before you drive to the bottle shop mm. to stop and just be aware that and name it. I'm having a craving right now. Mm. Just because I'm having a craving doesn't mean I have to react to it. I can respond to it with better comments in a different way. Can I respond by seeing what's happening in my body? Can I just slow it down for a minute? Can I mm. take some deep conscious breaths? Can I? What can I do to bring myself back into my body, get grounded? Just take a minute. Give yourself 15 minutes grace before you go and do anything. Just yeah. have that awareness. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we will be exploring in, in our Bali retreat, but I can cover it now, uh, that is this idea of the window of tolerance, mm. which is a, it, it's, it's coming from contemporary psychology. And it's, I find it's really useful. And it's, they talk about imagine a window that you've got a certain range within your window that you're okay, you can tolerate. And if something happens that triggers us, basically it's out taking us outside of our window of tolerance. And so we react. And, and I've, often if we've got a drinking problem, the reaction will be to uh, pick up a drink yeah. or to do whatever the behavior is. And I need to, I'm basically gone into what we call hyper arousal. Uh, and I'm, you know, that feeling of anxiety of like, oh, so mm. something's triggered me and I've gone out of my window. I can't tolerate it. So I need something to bring me back into my window of tolerance. Mm. And this is where we can learn skills. Mm. And the first thing is to notice if I, we, you know, we have this model of awareness. It's like, okay, I notice that I'm being triggered by whatever this is. And maybe it's just a long day. Mm. So maybe I haven't had enough sleep. I've done too many things today. My kids are making too much noise. The neighbor's dog's barking, etc., etc. It could be the simple things. It doesn't have to be some major traumatic life event. Often it's not. It's just the little things. If we're, It's just my life is too stressful. So I'm just going to drink at the end of the day mm. uh, or the beginning of the day or whenever it is. But what we need to do is expand this window of tolerance. Mm. And this is where, again, the practices support us. Mm. So the practice might be to talk to somebody. Mm. Practice might be rather than running off to the bottle shop when I'm feeling anxious, I have a friend to call, mm. someone that I'm connected with and that I've got someone who can just bring me back in and that can, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved or it could be a simple practice of breath work, a yoga nidra. Uh, it can be so many little things, but acknowledging when we're being and over time is if you've been if you've had your nervous system compromised and that could be through life trauma uh most of us have been traumatized in some way right mm. and uh i certainly have been and i know that certain things can happen within my window of tolerance i'm really capable mm. but certain things can happen that compromise that and i <gasps> You know, I could feel it in my body. The adrenals kick in. I'm into my, I'm in my sympathetic nervous system. I'm going to fight it or I'm going to run away from it. Mm. 
so what I, I've learned to do, uh, and I'm, you know, this is work in progress very much, is mm. to employ different strategies. I can't drink. So what do I need to do to bring myself back into regulation, back into into regulation? So there's lots of different things. It you know, can be a, a breath work practice. It might be exercise. Um, well, not great thing, actually, I, I was showing the other day, which makes a lot of sense. And it's um, I've sort of read, I touched upon it through studying breath work and they're talking about the mammalian studying uh free diving and uh they talk about the mammalian reflex so mammals mm -hmm. uh have a reflex that if we put our face into the water it immediately drops our heart rate significantly and this is from our mm -hmm. evolution as uh, cetaceans, we've, so, so we've come from the sea, right? We were sea animals before we came onto the land. And so part of our evolution, if you put your face into the water, your heart rate drops wow. immediately. So going for a swim or even just putting some water, water your over face. your face is going to drop your heart rate. This is the, called the mammalian reflex. So we're using, this is a neurological trick mm. essentially mm. Uh, that we can just soothe ourselves by just wetting the face it's on you've got to have the water on your face all you need to do is just put water onto your face wow. and that is enough to so if you just had water on your shoulders it wouldn't be enough you need to get it onto your, onto face. your face that triggers the mammalian reflex which in context that and that slows down your heart rate which means that you can stay underwater for a lot longer uh, wow. And that you're not, so it slows down your heart rate and it also stops you from uh, taking in water. So you can't, you can't breathe in water when you're underwater. Yeah. That's really, yeah, that's so interesting. It's cool, isn't it? It's yeah. From life as a fish. <laughs> yes. This time of year, obviously we're towards the end of January now and people are starting to do their New Year's resolutions and mm. they're off the booze for a bit and whatever. But it's been a tricky time. Christmas is a tricky time. I know mm. it was for me, like navigating family stuff. And I, I found that really, really activating at times. I find myself really tense and aggravated and annoyed mm. and upset you know, and I'm like, what is going on for me? So I'd have to stop and, and take a moment and be with myself for a bit. I found just getting into child's pose really, really helpful. Mm. So if I was feeling, and I've done this before too, if I've had like back-to-back -back coaching all day and it's just been a, you know, a really big day and I haven't had a break or I haven't done yoga nidra in between mm. something, I'll just go and get into to child's pose for a bit and just Isn't take some breaths. It's so yeah. helpful. And yeah. I've, I use that quite a lot. It's a pose um, of a child on your on your knees, basically head on the floor. You might use a bolster or a pillow or mm. something just to like it's coming into that pose. It's a pose of deep surrender. So beautiful. It just, it just for me, I've I had the same thing happen. I remember I was I just opened a yoga studio and I'm running around like a headless chicken. Uh, I had so many things to do. I was like the anti yogi. I was so stressed, and little did I know that starting a yoga studio was probably the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, and I had one of our teachers at the time who turned around to me and said, uh, Mike, why don't you just go and put your forehead on the floor for a little while? And uh, well, no, she said, it wasn't, it wasn't even like, she said, just don't forget to put your forehead on the floor, which mm. means come into pose. Of and I, I did at that time. I, like, I should really do that. And I did. And I stopped and it just is like, I'm going to surrender. Mm. You know, you've, you've got a busy life. You do mm. a lot of things. You've mm. got kids, you've got a husband, you've got 
so many things, no doubt, mm. that are happening, particularly at this time of year. Uh, me too. I've got mm. a lot of things. It's mm. so important that all those amazing things that happen, they only continue to happen by virtue of the fact that we are able to bring ourselves back to stillness. So mm. the more things, one of the things I like to say is the more Shakti that you have out there, the more activity. So mm. we're talking about this tantric idea of Shakti, of activity, more life, the more Shiva that you need. So Shiva is consciousness. Shiva mm. is awareness. So mm. if you're doing a lot of things, you need to amplify, increase your level of awareness. So mm. if you're really, really, really busy all the time, you need to make sure, well, not all the time, but if you're really, really busy a lot, you need to make sure that you're counterposing that with more pose of a child or more yoga nidra. Mm, absolutely. It's so liberating. I remember at one stage over Christmas feeling that, and I want to shove, shove food in my face. And so, again, it's just taking that moment of just going, hang on a minute, mm. you know, before I go and shove a whole thing of daffinoir and crackers into my mouth just get into child's pose for a minute first mm. and just see and, you know, enjoyed a bit of daffinoir a bit later on, by the way, but yeah. not the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's it's great yeah. to be able to respond in that way. And I've found that I'm being able to do that more and more and more from doing the course with you and from doing like the da- like yoga nidra pretty much every day I've done it. And I use that one that you recorded for this podcast. Mm. Whoops, something one of the, the one that you recorded for this podcast. I use it all the time. Awesome. And so thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. But it's just having that yoga nidra practice regularly, I'm so much more aware. I know we go on and bang, we bang on a lot about it a lot, but it's absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's kind of magic. It really, it's, the, it's so counterintuitive that it, it's almost magical mm. because so much of whatever it is, is that like we're talking about recovery or, you know, being successful in life. And mm. even in this conversation, we've spoken about a lot of things that you can do, mm. but yoga nidra, I mean, you have to do it to a certain point. Like you've got to start, you've got to, but it's literally lie down, listen to a guidance. And at certain point, you're actually just moving into complete stillness, mm. letting go of actually doing anything. That's the whole point of yoga nidra is like mm. at a certain, it's taking you to a point where you can completely let go. Mm. So most meditation practices are focused on thinking about something, focusing on a particular area, whereas yoga nidra is different to a lot of meditation technique is that it's actually taking you to a place where you're not doing anything. There's mm. nothing to think about. You're just complete spaciousness. And that is magic because that's actually what we need because we're mm. doing so many things. So we yeah. have that moment of pure Shiva, pure consciousness, complete awareness, and then you can move back into told, hopefully hold, taking a little bit of that with you back into life. Mm. So... Yeah, and it, you know, we find that we need less stimulants to, to, to keep ourselves getting that deep rest. So we're going to need less coffee, less less sizzle, less stuff to amplify us. Yeah, and then you're just feeling – I'm just feeling more in my mm. body, I think, from it. I'm finding if I'm super busy, I have to do it. It's like I'm too busy not to do it now. Mm. Even if it's a 20-minute one that I find on YouTube, which yeah. I never like as much as yours, by the way. It's life-changing stuff. So again, I know we bang on about it all the time, but believe yeah. us. We're not, we're, we're, we're not banging on about it just because we've got nothing else to say. <laughs> uh, we're banging on about it because it is the best thing 
to say. Mm. It's interesting, you know, that uh, you know, as we've discussed, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is probably what the world's leading, certainly the most celebrated and uh, vocal neurophysiologist. Um, he's based out of Stanford University. I mean, he talks about his top protocols for life advancement, and he rates yoga nidra in the top three uh, as i understand it it's pretty awesome isn't it yeah i mean neurologically it's not just a something that danny and mark like uh the top scientists in the world are only fairly recently mm. cottoning on to the fact that oh it's that good you mm. know it's not you're resetting your cortisol levels mm. so you we're building up cortisol during the day right we're mm. actually slowly but surely you know, that feeling of being irksome in the afternoon mm. you probably know it and so i've just mm, yoga ninja gives you a complete reset it's just helping so you on so many levels mentally physically neurologically uh we're talking about karmically coming into that field of awareness of a deep underlying karma we are making ourselves better through mm. stillness so good it's just the best the best mm. the best where would you be now so obviously you used a lot of this awareness and yoga practice to get you through your recovery mm. early on and, and continue to do so where would you be without that because i was talking to brad hay today who's a another local amazing mm. yoga human and we were talking about the, that kind of not doing the internal work and, and just having this fear around drinking but he's saying but we were talking about this if you do the inner work, if you keep expanding and keep working on yourself and work on your awareness, mm. the fear can kind of dissipate and you it's a different journey. So where would you where do you feel like you would be if you had of quit drinking but didn't do any of this stuff? You didn't do any of your yoga, mm. you didn't I would do have any been drinking again. Ah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, isn't I don't it? think I would have made it without without it. I, I just can't see how I was already doing this stuff before I quit drinking. Mm. So Doing this stuff got me to the point where I realized I probably would have got there anyway, but it, I think it saved me a, a lot of grief. So if you, even if you are drinking, like don't use that as an excuse not to, not to do the things like start the practices now. Mm. And, and my experience, it was it just developing that awareness. It actually helped me to bring more awareness to the reality of what alcohol was, the mm. truth of what alcohol was in my life. Mm. And it wasn't a friend. I realized, mm. oh, alcohol's not my friend. You know, mm. it's, uh, it's actually working. And if I want to get to that place, I'm gonna have to let this go. Even though that was difficult and scary, the practices mm. took me to that point with uh, maybe a little bit quicker and with a little bit, a little bit more shanti than perhaps otherwise. If I hadn't have continued on in the practice, I mean, I've done AA, I wouldn't say I'm a sort of a hardcore devotee, but I found that the I've got a lot of support out of AA over the years, and I do highly recommend it uh, for not necessarily everybody, but you know, I've, my experience has been really, really positive, uh, and I've but I found that doing the practices helped me accept the limitations that might be present, and so I wasn't so judgy going into twelve step fellowship. But likewise, the 12-step fellowship helped to counterbalance just doing um, 
the the yoga because I was really deeply immersed in a yoga community for particularly the first five years of my recovery. I was really deeply immersed in it, and that was so I needed something that got me out of that. And sometimes that mm. whole yoga world can be a little bit overwhelming too. Mm. People a little bit starry eyed around it. So I found that having that counterpose uh, and that's was, interesting was, was was really useful for me. Yeah, so you sort of almost had to counteract a bit of that mm. stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it was from both ways, both ways. I mean, I've said, you know, the 12-step fellowship helped me uh, helped me accept and, and deal a lot more with yoga and the yoga helped me deal with the 12-step fellowship. Mm. But they were both work. And ultimately I came to a realisation that, you know, put whatever names in as a, or hats on it, it's all working in the same direction. Mm. It's all should be working in the same direction. And that is ultimately supporting me to evolve into this best version of myself. And so in that context, it's all a practice of yoga. Mm. What we're doing right now, this conversation is a practice of yoga. And very much so. This is a practice of what you'd call in classical yoga of Gyan yoga. So Gyan yoga is the yoga of the intellect. And it is you and I having a conversation, hopefully with a level of awareness. So we're, we're doing little bits of box. We did our box breathing before. And, uh, you know, I did a little practice earlier just to bring ourselves into regulation so we can have a conversation with awareness mm. where we're unpacking the machinations of the mind. So very much so, this is a practice of yoga. And the people who are listening to this, if you practice from that sense of, you, if you're listening to this podcast and really sit with the pod, or anything that you're doing, but coming to this podcast, because you're obviously listening to this right now, do it with your full awareness. Mm. Do it with your full awareness. Let that be your practice of yoga. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, exactly. And that's one great thing that I've learned over the years too. It's not just about the poses and all the rest of it, but there, so really in recovery, there has to be a level of awareness and mindfulness. And I really do believe that. I think so. One of the things I did notice a lot in 12 step fellowships, uh, and it exists, people who do a lot of that but don't do the other stuff i mean bearing in mind meditation i think it's the 11th step in the in 12 step fellowship it so but not everybody does it and so i've seen people go sober for years and years and years and years and go batshit crazy because they're not doing the work you know that's the stopping drinking is the first part there's a whole lot of things that need to have if you want to do it it's not just about wanting to stop drinking you want to stop drinking and then be happy and be joy, not just happy, joyful, living your best life, living this full life, that the life that you're destined to live, connecting with your deeply with your dharma. Uh, really, that, that last drink is just sort of a, an incidental thing that had to happen. The real stuff is happening now, you know, right yeah. now. Let's get into it. Let's do it. And what, how do we do it? And so, well, we, first, the thing we need to do is become present. We need to slow down. We need to connect with that quiet mind and then do that regularly. Yeah. So you said that the first step is the not drinking mm. and then after that connecting to the to the mind and then what else would you say? Because this is really, this is a great conversation. This is really important stuff because mm. I've talked a bit about through the podcast, Mandy Nolan and I have talked about it a mm. bit. Her granddad was a dry drunk and that, and kind of Mark and I were talking a bit about it today mm. when you just 
say you're in 12 steps and you're just worried about getting to meetings and all that or mm. being fearful and just abstaining but not doing the next part, which is the expansion and the growth, you're going to get pissed off. You're going to feel mm. like you're missing out and you get the dry drunk thing happening where you're angry and you're pissed off. So this is a really great conversation and I don't think it's one I've had in the podcast before. So the first step is not drinking mm. and that's only one step. Mm. Talk to me about the next step and the next step. Well, I mean, look, the 12-step program has a really good program, you know. It and, actually and, and is and a beautiful program. It's a beautiful program. Yeah. And it's actually, if you look at where the evolution of 12-step methodology, it came from the Oxford group, which was part of the Theosophical Society. Don't you know a lot? Came, I'm a nerd. Uh, so, so the Theosophical Society was in... Uh, the 1800s, it was a spiritualist society, sort of connected to Gnostic Christianity. Uh, so Gnostic Christianity is Gnostic mysticism, it's spiritualist Christianity. So there's a strong cr Christian, at least heritage within 12-step 12 uh, 12-step programs. But where it all came from, there was a lady called Madame Blatsky, who was a, I think Austrian, maybe French, European, certainly. <laughs> and she went to India and she spent a few years in India and studied with all the um, gurus in India and then connect, studied yoga. And then she went back to Europe and then so she developed theosophy. And theosophy uh, is this spiritual science. And then from that, the Oxford group kind of came out as they developed, I think, a 10-step program and then the 12-step program came into being sort of the 1900s. But it's also connected to anthroposophy, which Rudolf Steiner was a theosophist. Really? And he broke off and did his own thing with anthroposophy. So if you go back into sort of the 1800s, it was a pretty fun time. They were doing all the seances and stuff. Oh. And so a lot of it was being about channeling. But what Madame Blatsky basically did was go to India and, I mean, she said she sort of down I've got a bunch of her books. It's really interesting stuff. But she, uh, yeah, there was a little bit of uh, what you call cultural paraphrasing. So she took a lot of, but that's sort of informed. So essentially 12-step methodology is based in yoga. And oh, it's, wow. it's not necessary. It's just applied to alcohol, but it can work for anybody. And the simple principles essentially of, you know, there's this practice of abstinence. There's a practice of surrendering to a divine power. I think that's one of the things I think they do do very well is it's, they're not talking about a specific God. Uh, and again, they talk about it in yoga, this idea of Ishvara, Ishvara, which is the personal God. Basically, I surrender to the God of my own understanding. So... I believe, and this may be controversial, but I feel quite strongly for myself that connecting to some divine element is fundamental mm. to a practice of recovery. Mm. The great news is for you and for me and for everybody else here is that there's no specific definition of what that is. So the journey mm. is the discovery. The journey mm. is the discovery of what you're understanding of the divine is so some of you may be a member of a certain religious order and that's great you know go there with all of your heart if that's you've found that path but if you haven't the joy is in the discovery mm. it might be you know I, from my personal experience you find that's what you can find when you you take your little personal retreat 
Mm. Uh, whether that's to Bali or, you know, the island of the gods. I think a lot of people go to places like that for that spiritual connection, uh, but it can be to a local park. Mm. You know, I've, I've found that's where I find God. You know, I find God out in the, out in the bush, uh, mm. in, in my church, um, that's uh, the the church of the blue open sky, and that's that's just for me. That's my my mum is is a devout Catholic, and she I, I watch her go to church, and I see I acknowledge. I used to give her a really hard time about it because I didn't have a great experience through my Catholic education, but she's still really devout, and she she loves to go, and I see what it brings to her. Mm. Uh, but for all of us, in my humble opinion, I think that's so. You need to stop drinking. Number one. The next thing is, and not necessarily in a specific order all of the time, but find some connection with God and then be of service. Mm. Get into the world. Now we get sober. I mean, addiction is often about isolation and can be driven through selfishness or it's a, it's a symptom of selfishness or one way, shape or form one of the things that we can do to recover from addiction and what are the things that we need to do if we're going to stay recovered from addiction is to get out there and be a part of the world. Mm. Find a way that you can be of service. Mm. Um, I've got a, a, a guy I've been supporting for quite a few years and he's he's had a lot of personal challenges uh, and but his service is... He's, um, he is middle-aged mm-hmm. uh, and he's got an elderly mum. You know, there was a time when he was living in men's refuges and stuff and he has, he's not really able to get a job. Uh, he's had some pretty serious mental health issues, but his service now is to help his mum. You know, he goes around to his mum's place at least every every week and, you know, he just does the... He, she's in a, in a nursing home or, sorry, no, sorry, an, an, an old-aged home uh, and so he goes and helps her. And that's mm. that he's just, and if it wasn't for him, uh, she would be in a nursing home. So he's the one who's able to give her that. And, you know, the, he had this guy had a fairly raucous first 40 years of his life and he call, caused his mum a lot of stress mm. in and out of rehabs and, you know, jail time, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now he's been sober for about five years and, and his service is to go and help his mum. And look, it's, it's all different. You might be a, parent of young kids and maybe your service is to be really present as a parent i mean i know Mm. a lot of people when they're drinking we're not doing the best job that we could it was certainly big important Mm. for me when i got sober Mm. was to become really present there as a a parent and maybe it's in your partnership maybe it's to your employees maybe it is in a traditionally working for a charity or do something yeah do something my sister and brother-in-law bless them they're incredible humans and they do a lot of service work Mm. and Adam, he's had a brain injury from a car accident, but he goes and does shopping for some elderly people. He does their grocery shopping and there's a couple of elderly people. He'll just go and do a little bit of gardening. He doesn't like kill himself doing Mm. hours and hours, you know, on end. But he goes and and does what he can to just sort of help these elderly people Mm. within his community. And I think that's so beautiful. And then my sister does things similar to that or she'll make food for people. She works at the op shop sometimes, you know, she does Mm. things to be of service. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It, there's lots of the great news is there's lots of different ways. You could set an Instagram page. Yeah. If you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it could be about sobriety or, or yeah. ways of 
that's things that are helping you that you might think will help someone. It might help one person, but yeah. you're being of service. So it, it can look all sorts of, it can be, it can show up in different ways. Lots of little things. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 is the, that is the secret to a successful, long-lasting recovery that's joyful is that we're doing little things. If, you know, maybe you ask yourself every day, for example, what have I done to quieten my mind? What have I done to quieten my mind? Maybe that's a peaceful walk, a time in nature. Maybe it's a dedicated meditation or yoga practice. But mm. do something. Do something ev- every day. Every day. Do something. And then what have I done to be of service? Okay. How have I helped others today? And again, it might just be a phone call. It could just be a, a phone call to somebody, pick up the phone and ask somebody how they're going. Uh, call, call, call up an old friend or somebody you know who maybe is not getting so many phone calls. Call them up and don't talk to them about what you're doing. Just pick up and say, how are you? Mm. What's going on in your life? I love that, Mark. So, and then listen. And then listen to what they have and to say. Listen. Yeah. Oh, God. So two questions. What have I done to quiet my mind today? Mm. And what have I done to be of service? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, me too. Yep. I'm going to do that. Yeah, me too. I'm going to... Post it on Instagram and everything. Yeah, cool. That's a that's a nice little. Yeah, I, I can even I can do that. You yeah. know, when I put it into that, so oh, I can do that. I mean, yeah. I kind of do do that, but it's really nice to have those touchstones mm. of just checking in and and supporting mm. each other to you know maybe make that little challenge for yourself mm. and then connecting with whoever it is, your peer group. And I think having some sort of peer group in recovery is really important. The great thing is, with Insta, I mean, I've seen all these sort of in- amazing Instagram pages pop up over the, it seems just over the last few years that I've paid more and more attention to it, but mm. just groups of people. I think during COVID, a lot of it went online. Groups mm. of people who are just from all across the world mm. who, are, you know, without sort of blowing their trumpets, they're just proudly in recovery. Yeah. And proudly owning that space of being sober and actually just, you know, whatever way they're doing it, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's 12-step recovery, whether it's on their own or they're working with a coach or they're working with, you know, a therapist or whatever it is, mm. at the end of the day, they want to be sober. And then we're, we're supporting that for ourselves, for, for ourselves and for each other and going, mm. yeah, I'm cheering for you. Mm. So there's lots of different ways to connect. Oh, totally. That's find one. Absolutely. Find one. Yep, find one. So, yeah, mm. find some connection. So our steps are stop, stop fucking drinking. <laughs> find, <laughs> find a connection. Be of service and get aware. I think the awareness mm. is the big one. Evolution of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. A evolution of awareness and now that can be through yoga practice meditation practice mm. yoga nidra or just simply just being aware of your surround just taking a minute just mm. and becoming aware of what's happening in your own body yeah i mean create the thing i would add to that is just which is saying the same thing but create stillness yeah return yeah. to the stillness, stillness. So the, through through the stillness the awareness will come we need to become still so we can become, become aware, aware. Uh, sometimes it's it's not necessarily easy just to find that awareness, but mm-hmm. the secret's in the stillness. Yeah, amazing. That's so beautiful. I love all of that stuff, and which all of this stuff we'll be diving into more in our retreat, which is in April. 
2023 in Bali. There's still some places left. Not many, though. No, no. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's not many now, actually. So that's pretty cool. Um, So if you do want to come, please reach out. Bali's wonderful. If we haven't told you that already. But, you know, if you can't come, that's awesome too. Uh, we've given you, I think, a pretty nice little... Uh, we don't want our things to be exclusive. You know, we want it to totally. be a container that's there for the people who can, and that's awesome. But if you can't, we're going to support you too. Oh, I love uh, what, that. What, what, whatever. And whether that's helping you to design a personal retreat or just sharing through this podcast. You know, mm. this practice, the great thing about the practices is that they are free. And that you've, yeah. once you get taught the practices, they're yours. Yeah, you I know, love you, that. They're yours. I mean, there's the Yoga Nidra, I've got one there on uh, Danny's Spotify feed. And, you know, there's heaps of other Yoga Nidra practices that you can connect with. The breathwork techniques, once you understand them, they're, they're so simple. I mean, mm. when Bali, I guess we're kind of taking things to a new level and helping people to design a sadhana, what we talk about, a sadhana, a practice that's very specific for you and mm. there'll be a, a level of uh, coaching and, and discussion mm. and really beginning to unpack on a personal level. So it'll be very special for the people who are there. Mm. But the journey is long. Don't, yeah, don't uh, feel like you're, because if you can't come to Bali, that's the end of it. You know, we'll totally. support you will support you anyway. We're all here to support each other. I think that's the best thing about it. That's what I, I really feel listening to this podcast and being a part of this podcast and mm. being a part of a community. I feel supported. I feel like I'm a yeah. part of something and supporting other people. Nothing yeah. inspires me more than supporting people who are in those early stages of recovery or any stage of recovery really, but particularly in those, in that first little while, it's mm. it's such a delicate time potentially, mm. and the stepping into a whole new world, and to be able to hold that space and give the guidance that there's only one way to get that guidance is that you've got to have walked the path, which yeah. is not necessarily an easy path. Yeah, and it takes it takes a little while to get there too. You know, like mm. I think the first couple of years. It's still, it's a tender time mm. and it's it's a shaky time. There's all these firsts and, mm. you know, um, if you've had six months, if you've had a year, that's great. That's fantastic. And you just, you keep going, you keep evolving, keep growing. Mm. And that's especially around that one year mark where, you know, to really expand and really start your growth, you know, mm. then dive in. Yeah, life's long, you know, the journey's long, it's exciting, mm. it's awesome. And also I was thinking if people do their little home retreats, <laughs> hashtag us. Yeah. Hashtag that or tag Mark and I in it. <laughs> we would love to know. We'd love to see what you do, what you come up with. I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, please do. I'd love to see I you. absolutely love it. So if anyone's interested in our retreat, just reach out. You can send me an email, hit me up on Instagram or Mark. We've got um, one lady's flying in from Belgium and others flying in from America. Cool. Quite a few Aussies going. Yeah. Bali's really a real cool. epicenter. People come from everywhere. It's yeah. a special place. Bali's, there's magic vibes there. You know, we're talking about connecting with the divine. It is the island of the gods. And it's, I, I teach yoga as I've shared and it's, uh, I run teacher training programs in Bali and have done a lot of practice and study of yoga in Bali. And it's just part of the DNA, the heritage of the place, the Hinduism and the mysticism in Bali. It's, mm. yeah. And actually where we are doing the, 
our retreat is on the Balian River, which is one of the most deeply sacred rivers. It's beautiful. It comes off the edge of Batu Kuru. It's really clean. A lot of some parts of Bali are a bit dirty, unfortunately. But mm. Batu, uh, it's it's all coming through this natural. So it, it's all forest. So it's mm. at the west of Bali. So it's fairly untouched. Uh, it's uh yeah we're we're gonna have a really special time but we'll so send, beautiful we'll, we'll, we'll post a few pics <laughs> oh we will sure. um but it's and there is more to Bali than Kuda and Bintang y- oh and yes bars. yes yes totally <laughs> so it was interesting because when I first got so I mean I went to Bali a lot. I was a young Aussie surfer and I went there a lot in my early twenties on these sort of surf party missions and it got pretty wild sometimes like I would go off and. I always had this sort of really extremely divergent lifestyle where I would go and at one point I was sort of living in the jungle with one mate and we're living in a grass hut and living on really basic food. We're meditating every day, doing heaps of yoga and just surfing our brains out. We went fully feral, (laughs) fully feral. And then I'd come back and I'd feel so purified and then I'd hit Kuda and it was just crack a binting and then it was just on. So it was this (laughs) massive sort of shift. And I, I did a lot of yoga in Bali in my early 20s and... I did. I studied with a teacher over there, and I uh, did a teacher training, and I'm fully purified on yoga. And then again, it would polarize back to, you know, meeting up with the boys in in Bali and going mm-hmm. on these wild benders. And I mean, thankfully these days, it's the polarization. My life is a lot more steady mm-hmm. in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my yoga practice is a lot more steady in the middle. I don't have to do those extreme, intense sadhanas that i used to do and you know i'm, I'm a big believer in the model in the middle path mm. for myself you know it's again it's a, sometimes if you're in hardcore recovery that's like if you're in hardcore addiction what you might need is hardcore recovery so mm-hmm. there's people who are you know really hardcore addicted they need to go into long-term rehab mm. and and that and that happens it's not mm. for everybody but there are people who that's the best place for them to be and again it's just finding that space for you mm. and that uh, when and also i mean again this idea of working with a retreat and i think we the group will be working with in bali it's about supporting people who are on that journey so mm. it's like you might you might never have been to rehab or you you've come into sobriety and and alcohol is not the big problem Mm. alcohol is not the big problem that everyone thinks it is Mm. alcohol is the symptom so what we need to actually do now is that you've stopped we've let go of this symptom we need to get to the problem yes and get there softly and empathetically and joyfully yeah that's exactly right and that's also we'll be combining the compassionate inquiry framework Mm. into this too where we can come at maybe any traumas or underlying core beliefs from a really compassionate and soft Mm place of discovery and seeing what it's like to be in relationship with that that's there and perhaps being coming aware of our triggers what's going on in our bodies what emotion what emotion we're kind of tying up with that is it familiar how long has it been there for maybe mm-hmm. a bit of parts work and really uncovering just slowly slowly what's there when that started perhaps when this core belief about ourselves started mm-hmm. where that came from Oftentimes it happened a lot earlier than what people realize. Mm. It's usually always in childhood and working at healing that because firstly, a lot of people feel like, oh, if I was to delve into childhood stuff, that's so old. That's just making me a victim. It's nothing about that. It's That's when you're liberated, when you actually be with that that's there. 
and learn to respond and be in a relationship with that that's showing up rather than trying to get rid of it, mm. pretending it's not there or pushing it away. And then, of course, bringing that awareness into the awareness in which you'll bring, you mm. know, with breath work and... Well, they feed practice. into the other, you know, it's really breath, breath work and meditation, all of the yoga techniques provide that supportive context and the mechanisms mm. to get you to that place. What we talk about in yoga is vairagya, which is this gentle or vivek and vairagya. So that's to detach and discern. So when you're coming to this practice of uh, compassionate inquiry, we do our practice first so we can go there and go to that childhood, whatever it is, that point in time or those points in time where we did feel ashamed, where we mm. did feel compromised in whatever way which are the seeds from which these traumas so my, once again this journey of self-knowledge it's amazing okay, that that happened and that happened oh my god like and sometimes but, people don't even aren't even aware of yeah anything like oh, i have so many people gabor calls it the um the happy childhood challenge mm, okay. <laughs> a lot of times people will say in a coaching session oh no 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 yeah i had a great childhood great parents blah blah blah, blah. and then you dig into it a bit more and then it will be like oh yeah actually mum and dad broke up when I was 10 dad was cheating and dad was actually became like a really bad alcoholic around that time mm. and I had to take on the responsibility of my siblings and you know then to say oh, okay so how would how is that for a 10 year old to have to take on the responsibility mm. of all their siblings and their dad's crying and you know parents are breaking up and there's alcoholism in the family mm. would you recommend that for another 10 year old how would that mm. be for another 10 year old oh no would you want that for your own child no mm. no of course not well, how happy was that childhood then? Mm. It's an interesting... And so then to just understand that a little bit. Beautiful. Yeah. And, this, and this feeds into your meditation practice. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you a personal example. I, I had a... And through my journey through meditation and, and self-inquiry, I had a an, a, an awareness of uh, the age of 10, uh, which I think is a very delicate age for mm. a lot of kids. I went to a new school, went to this Jesuit Catholic school. I went from a really lovely community primary school to this pretty intense Jesuit Catholic school in the city, had to wear the serious uniform. And I went there and from day dot, I was bullied. And it was a school run by bullies. So the, the teachers, the Catholic priests, they were Jesuits, they were hardcore. They were bullies. And then they would bully students and all the students would bully each other. The teachers would bully each other. It was the most... I look back now and go, oh, my goodness, well, that place was so toxic. Mm. But at the time, I just remembered I could still feel it, still feel it in my guts, this palpable feeling of being afraid and alone. So I sort of went into one social group and then something happened. My brother was also at the school and he'd had some problems and that had fed down. He was in the year above and these guys in the year above had started picking on me and I had no idea. And, you know, my instinct was to fight back and then that didn't work very well. And I was on my own. I remember lunchtime, I was black banned through all these social groups and I would just, would just, walk around on my own, I just still remember this feeling of anxiety. So, And that came back to me through mm. the last however many years. But then we can take that, take that feeling, you take that mm. into your meditation practice and you sit with that and we can do a, what we will be doing a specific. So doing our compassionate inquiry work, coming to those things, having those dawning realizations, and then you've got some fuel to take into your meditation practice yeah. that you can really begin to, you're never going to change history. No. But you can change the way that history affects you. You're present. So you can take these things 
and I think we sort of get into the essence of what's going to be explored in Bali. Uh, but we can do this elsewhere too. It doesn't have mm. to be in Bali. But I think we're, what we're doing in Bali is creating a container and it's a, a sacred container where we support, where mm. we do this work as individuals. Uh, so it's it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a lovely week in Bali. You're going to get a nice massage and have some beautiful time in the sun, but there's some deep process work. And so hopefully we go away from that with more self-knowledge mm. and, and, and the tools that we mm. can actually take forward and the techniques that we can take forward into the year to come. Oh, totally. And there's, yeah, it's, this is what's, I'm so excited. It's going to be beautiful. Mm. Just peddling back to what you're saying there about your childhood stuff. When you were 10 and you felt like afraid mm. and alone in that situation, which would have been pretty awful for oh, a little horrible. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you talk to about that? Nobody. Mm. There was nobody to talk to. And At that age, unfortunately, my dad was really distant. So my dad was a drink. I mean, he wasn't, a, he wasn't a terrible man. He He just, he was your classic 50s dad who just worked really, really hard all the time. And I was 10 in the 80s and I remember there was a recession going on. I remember my dad, he just worked all the time. He was really stressed about money. He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning. He'd work for three hours at his desk before jumping in the car and driving into, into work. And we had a, you know, I saw him and we connected a little bit, but there was, yeah, not a great emotional support. I didn't really have anyone. Yeah. I really didn't. And for years, and so I started acting out. And my technique to act out was I became, developed bravado. You know, I be the class, I became the class clown. And then that just isolated me more. Some people thought I was funny, but my people just thought I was annoying. The teachers certainly found me really annoying. And it just got worse and worse. Yeah, that was your coping strategy. Yeah. If one of your kids, when they were 10 years old, who would you want them to come to if they were feeling fearful and alone? Oh, come to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so the fact that you had that disconnection with your dad and mm. it didn't feel that you were able to go to him and say, hey, I'm feeling really fearful and alone. Mm. That's what Gabor says. That's where the trauma happens. Mm. It's the internalization of that. If a child, if you could have gone to a parent and said, hey, I'm feeling this and I'm afraid and I'm alone and mm. perhaps you would have needed all that bravado and you would have been able to express and feel those emotions. So that's yeah. where the trauma lies. Then fast forward into our adulthood and if something triggers something in us where maybe we tell the story that or our body feels fearful and alone, mm. we can completely wig out and sometimes we don't even know why. Often we can trace it back to that, where that mm. core belief started, when that happened. It's yeah, I've, as I've said, I've nibbled around the edges of it, but I'm really keen to do some more with you on it. Mm. And let's, let's, let's make that happen. I feel, I mean, I think we've both sent, when we've, first started talking about doing this together in Bali, I think we both had a, a sense of what was possible mm. and, you know, when we sort of started to co-create this. But, yeah, again, there's there's magic possible mm. and mm. it's not just magic that we're magicians. Like there's techniques that we, can, we will bring together mm. that enables people to connect with their own magic. Mm. Mm. It's, it's going to be awesome. Anyway, Mark Purser. Thank you very much. I'm excited now. I'm excited too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on again oh, and for pleasure. driving from Byron to New Brighton. <laughs> Thank you once again and we will see you soon. Bali. Well, I'll probably see you before I'll that. I'll see you before that. But yes, most certainly in Bali. And uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And if anyone is in the Byron area and wants to 
get a bit of mark action going on. That sounds a bit wrong. <laughs> Give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> call me. Call me now. No, uh, contact the uh, the bamboo. bamboo yoga Byron. Yeah, bamboo is in the, the plant. Yoga Byron. We do heaps of different stuff. I've got it's so good. Uh, as of next, we've got like twenty five classes a week there. I don't only teach a few of them, but next Monday I'm doing. I'm starting a dedicated breathwork and meditation class on Monday afternoon and every week on a Wednesday at one o'clock I do a yoga nidra class and plus all of our yoga classes are awesome yeah amazing and you run that free yoga nidra class yep. as well still yep yep free community yoga nidra so good every Wednesday lunchtime amazing amazing thank you see y'all Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.